Hey, good morning. How are you guys? So I told Bruce Cook uh, in the in the uh, cafe, um, I said, you know, church is so good this weekend, I'm going to go to all three services. <laughs> it's that good. God is so good, man. All right, so I need to, um, I'm a little disappointed. Last week was the Daytona 500, and I asked you guys to pray for Kyle Busch. Okay, apparently you misunderstood, because Kurt Busch is the one that won the race. So I'm blaming it on you that you prayed for the wrong brother. And then on top of that, many of you texted me congratulating me on the victory. I'm like, it's the wrong guy. It's your fault. My driver got in a crash. I'm okay. There's 30-something more races. Um, Friday, we had Rock of Ages, which I just love. And uh, Rob Johnson gave his testimony. And perhaps like many of you, my wife will say this, oh, my testimony is boring. And so he says, you know, my testimony is kind of boring. And it was incredible. Every testimony is incredible. Everyone. Everyone is a miracle of God because of what he did for us on the cross and how we turn our lives over to him. It was just amazing. So uh, it was just a fun night. And so in a couple weeks, we're ordaining Rob Johnson. So at that time, he'll be... PR for Pastor Rob, but in the meantime, it's STBPR, soon to be Pastor Rob. So if you need to use an acronym, just say, hey, STBPR, and then in two weeks, you can just call him Pastor Rob or PR. Anyway, fun night. We had a child dedication last service for Richard and Rebecca Ruiz and their two twin daughters, uh, Emma and Emily, which is just adorable. Great, uh, Great time doing that. Let me open with this. Oh, I also want to tell you, we're in Galatians. We're in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5 today. We have two more weekends in Galatians, and then we're done. Because Galatians only has six chapters. I would like to go on, but there's no more chapters to do. So we're going to go into the book of Ezra. And so between now and the last weekend of March, when we start Ezra, I think that's the 25th and 26th, something like that, if you can, sit down and read Ezra from beginning to end. Okay? It's just... 45 minutes to an hour, 11 chapters, Ezra 1 through 11. Try to do that. Sometime between now and three weeks from now, just find some time, be with the Lord, and read 11 chapters of Ezra as we prepare for that next book. Let me open with this. Back in the year 2000, a 23-year-old by the name of Mike Anderson, Mike Anderson III, was arrested for robbing a Burger King at gunpoint. He was sentenced to 13 years in prison released on bail and told to await orders on when to show up to serve his 13 years. But the orders never came. Due to a clerical error, Mike Anderson never went to prison. But instead of using his freedom to commit more crimes, Mike Anderson started his own construction business, became a youth football coach, uh, got involved in church, gave his life to the Lord and began to volunteer at his church. He got married and had three kids and became a well-liked and well-respected member of his community. Thirteen years later, the state discovered their error and put him behind bars for nearly a year. And during that year, as the case received uh, international coverage, a petition for his release gained thousands upon thousands of signatures. After a court hearing that lasted a mere ten minutes, the judge conceded that Anderson was a changed man and granted him credit for the years that he should have been in prison. A teary-eyed Mike Anderson and his wife walked out the courthouse uh, telling reporters how grateful that they were to God. Isn't that a great story? There are many, many, many stories to be told 
about how the Lord restores people. All of us have that story about how he's restored us. Jack Hayford says this about God's restoration. He says, Restoration in every dimension of human experience is at the heart of the Christian gospel. It is woven through all the scriptures and must be at the forefront of our ministry of the truth. Amen? Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verses 19, 20, and 21 to talk about a little further about restoration. Acts chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, verses 19, 20, and 21. And just so you know, my wife's totally competitive. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys picked up on that. She is fierce, man. She is not as nice as you guys think. I'm telling you. She's just not. She's nice. Don't get me wrong, but she's fierce. Anyway, she's gone. I'll totally deny it. Hey, that second recording put online, 9 a.m., not this one. All right, thanks, guys. I love when people have my back. I'm a little competitive, too. It's part of the problem. Verse 19, therefore, repent and return. Right? This is about God restoring us. Repent and return. Be restored so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God and that he may send Jesus who's appointed for us to restore us, whom heaven must receive, you and I, until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient times. We are still here, church, because God is still restoring. He's not done. Amen? We are to be a place of restoration. Let, me, let, let us read now Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to pray. Galatians 6, starting at verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, that person's deceived. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. Let's pray. God, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you restore and that you are still restoring, which means, Lord, that your work is not done, which means, Lord, that the work of this church is not done, which means, Lord, that the work of each and every one of us is not done because we make up your church. Thank you for using us. Continue to strengthen us to do your will and to, to continue to restore those that need to be restored to you. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So... I'm a little goofy this way. I can't help it. I don't know if this is goofy or not goofy. So it's like, okay, the message title, The Daily Poll of Bear and Bull. This made me think of the stock market, right? So you have a bear market and a, and a bullish market, right? If a person is optimistic about the market, the stock market, they are said to have a bullish outlook. A bearish outlook is when we're more pessimistic. The economy's bad and stock prices are falling. And I believe it's fair to say that every day we wake up, we have a burden to bear. Is that true? Every day. And so on some level, we're in a bearish market. And whether that be our own personal 
uh, load or our own personal burden to bear, which is what verse 5 talks about, or whether it's bearing the load or the burden of another person, which is what verse 2 talks about. Either way, in doing so, our bearish market begins to turn bullish when we, as verse 2 talks about, when we begin to fulfill the law of Christ by unburdening ourselves and unburdening other people. So either way, we're, we're, our bearish market begins to turn bullish as we fulfill the law of Christ, and then we can have a proper boast, which is what verse 4 talks about, and not an improper boast. And so to do well spiritually, if somebody says, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How's your spiritual life? My spiritual life's great. Let me tell you what that needs to look like. To do well spiritually, if we say, I'm doing great spiritually, it means this. It means that you're bearing the load that you're to bear. It means that you're bearing the load of others as well. It means that we have a, a, a bullish outlook on our own lives and it means that we give others a bullish outlook because we're coming alongside them to serve them and help them bear their load. So that's what it means to say, I'm doing great spiritually. You're bearing your load. You're bearing the load of others. We have a bullish outlook on our lives because our eyes and, and our attention is focused on Jesus Christ. And then we give others that same bullish outlook. Amen? If you recall from Galatians, there's three components. You know, the first, part, first component is, is, when Paul writes, it's more about his personal uh, uh, ministry that God's given him. And then he goes into doctrinal, and then part, part three is practical. So there's three parts to Paul's letter to the Galatians, personal, doctrinal, and practical. And the practical component starts in Galatians 5, verse 13. So let's go there, because I think it's a good place to always start and focus our attention for this component, is Galatians 5, 13 and 14. So let's read that together. For you were called to freedom when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're free. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, the sinful nature, but through the spiritual nature, serve one another. For the whole law is filled or fulfilled in one word or one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then we see right after that in verses 19, 20, and 21, we see the deeds of the self-serving sinful nature. And then in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5, we see the fruit of of the others serving spiritual nature. So it all makes sense. And so essentially what Paul is showing us as we get into chapter 6, what Paul is showing us is what it means to be the church. That's where Paul is going. What does it mean to be the church? Excuse me, I dropped my glasses. Check this out. Look at these verses. They're in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Let me just give you some things to look at while you're looking at, at, at the verses. We see the word brethren in verse 1. We see the words, if anyone. We see you who are. We see such a one. We see each one. That's just in verse 1. In verse 2, we see one another. In verse 3, we see if anyone. In verse 4, we see each one and we see another. In verse 5, we see each one. And so it's just the church. Brethren, anyone, you, such a one, one another, if anyone, each other, each one, one another. You get the idea, right? There's a bunch of people doing stuff. It's the church. It's a picture of the church is what Paul wants us to see. I want to reread our verses again. Let's reread Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
Therefore, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he's deceived. But each must, be, uh, must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to somebody else. For each one will bear his own load. It's just the church. He's talking about the church. So, we've only got five verses. It's kind of hard to do an outline with five verses. I could if I tried, but I didn't try. So, what I'd rather have done is this. What are the takeaways? What are the takeaways of these five verses? There's four. Church, (laughs) the first one is sin will happen in the church. Sin will happen in the church. Is anybody surprised by this? Sin will happen in the church. If you're in the church, thanks for bringing sin with you. Because I brought some of my own, right? Sin will happen in the church. But restoration must happen in the church. We're so good at one, but sometimes we're terrible at number two. Restoration must happen in the church. Where else is it going to happen? Life is a bear. Has anybody's life been perfect, you know, beside mine? Anybody else had a perfect life beside me? Life's a bear. It bites us sometimes. It can get ugly and nasty and tricky. Life is a bear. But we must go through life not being deceived. Our first takeaway, sin will happen in the church. Check out verse 1. Verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. Let me paraphrase that for you. Even if anyone is the same as when someone... Even if anyone means when someone is caught in a sin or trespasses or sins. Romans 5.12 says that just as through one man sin entered into the world, who was that one man? Adam. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men have sinned. Sin will happen in the church. And so I say... I say we put an end to being taken back by this reality, by being shocked and surprised, and spend little to no time chatting about that reality, and more time loving and praying and serving and encouraging and restoring this person. Amen? It's a great challenge for us. Check this out. This is really interesting. In these five verses... After it says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, it never talks about that person again. Everything else addresses the restorers. Isn't that interesting? Be careful. Don't compare. Don't brag. Don't boast. Very interesting to me. And lastly, we've got to remember this as well. <laughs> the one caught in a trespass, the one that's in sin, when we stumble or fall, whatever you want to call it. We must allow the church to help us. We must allow the help to happen. If we get prideful, we can't get the help that we need. And so on some level, it's like, yeah, we want to help, but sometimes we don't allow the church, we don't allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us. And so even if we do a great job of trying to restore, we who fall, we who stumble, we have to be humble. Because that's what Proverbs 16, 18 says. Look at this verse. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before what? Before destruction. You hold on to your pride, destruction is what's around the corner. I don't know if it's a big corner or a short corner, but it's around the corner. And a haughty spirit before you stumble. Do you know what the word haughty means? I had to look it up. 
and I'm not going to tell you. Because if you think haughty might actually be you, look it up. It'll have more of an impact on your life. Seriously. I think I might have a haughty spirit. Look it up on your dictionary, your phones. Interesting. Our second takeaway. Restoration must happen in the church. Restoration must happen in the church. For who? Well, let's, let's see what the verse tells us. Brethren, uh, if anyone... So who? Anyone. Not someone, not most people, not a chunk of people, not people over 40, people under 30. Well, who? Anyone. Brethren, if anyone is caught. Well, what kind of sin? Uh, what does it say there? Oh, any trespass. Okay, so you're telling me if anybody is caught in any trespass, those are the people i got to help? Yep, that includes all of us. So all of us are in that mix now. All of us are in need of help. Anyone caught in any trespass, that's who we're supposed to help. Okay, so a few months ago, I think it was January, Pastor Doug, when he was preaching, he uh, had a poem. Do you guys remember his poem? Do you remember, or the, you remember that he did a poem? Okay. I, I don't like being one-ups, right? So I, I wrote a poem just to prove to Pastor Doug that I can write poems too. So here's my poem on these verses, okay? This is serious. Seriously. The church will trespass. The church must restore. Some will do it well. Some will do it poor. But if you're in the boat with Jesus, grab an oar. Thank you. Thank you. Just so you know, I didn't spend a lot of time on that poem. I know it's hard to tell from hearing it, but, you know, maybe four minutes, maybe five. I'm going to say it again because there's, a lot of, there's some profound truth. The church is going to trespass. The church will trespass. The church must restore. Sometimes we do it well, sometimes we do it poor. But if we're going to call ourselves Christians and jump in the boat with Jesus, we have to grab an oar and do the work of ministry of restoration. Amen? Amen. Is this not what it means to be spiritual? You who are spiritual, comma, restore. You who are spiritual, restore. You call yourself a spirit person, restore. That's what it says. If you're spiritual, restore. Let me, let me make a side note. Maturity is relative depending on one's progression and growth. So I've got 30 years in the Lord, you've got 30 minutes in the Lord. Okay, I get it. I get it. But spirituality is unrelated to growth. It's unrelated to growth. At any point from the time that we're saved, if that was three hours ago, or in my case, 37 years ago, at any point from our salvation to our glorification, when God takes us up, we are either spiritual, which is what chapter 5 talked about. You're either spiritual because you walk in the Spirit and the power of God, or you're fleshly because you choose to walk in the flesh, which is what chapter 5 covered. And so that means that every single one of us, if you gave your life to Christ before you walked in these doors, if you're walking by the Spirit of God, you are spiritual and God has called you to restoration in His church. And if you've been walking with the Lord 37 years, but you're walking in the flesh, you can't help nobody. Right? He calls all of us to the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of restoration. If we're spiritual, we are to restore. Our Lord is all about restoration. That's why we're here. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. 
Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. It's before the book of Daniel. It's after, I believe, the book of Jeremiah. Let me look. Oh, after Lamentations, which is after Jeremiah. Ezekiel 36. If you cannot find Ezekiel, you're welcome to come up here and look over my shoulder. No problem with that. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. Our God is about restoration. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. God has been restoring for a long time, and I'm so, so thankful. We have an acronym for our church. The Rock Community Church is TRCC. That's what our website, you email me, it's markm at trcclive.org. I don't know where the live comes from, but I really like it. Live. I have live in my email. I love it. I love to be alive. TRCC, the Rock Community Church. What if we changed it to the Restoration Community Church? What if we changed it to the Restoration Community Church? I'm not saying we're going to do that, but you get my point, right? This, this should be a place of restoration. The Restoration Community Church. May all churches be about restoring. Sadly, a pastor once commented this way. He says, I have often thought that if I ever fall into a trespass, I pray that I don't fall into the hands of those stern, critical judges in the church. Let me fall into the hands of barkeepers, streetwalkers, or dope peddlers, because such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues, cutting me to shreds. Isn't that sad? It's sad because it's true. It's sad because it happens far too often in the church. I'm telling you, with every fiber of my being, that's not going to happen here as far as I can prevent it. Amen? With every fiber in my being, I'm going to fight for that. J. Vernon McGee tells a different story. He says, One of the great preachers of the South was marvelously converted when he was a drunkard. His ministry was quite demanding over the many years, and after a great deal of pressure and temptation, he got drunk one night. He was so ashamed that the very next day he called in his board and turned in his resignation. He told them, I, I want to resign, and they were amazed. They asked why, and so he told them, I got drunk, and a preacher should not get drunk. I want to resign. And it was obvious that he was ashamed. And do you know what these wonderful board members did? They put their arms around him, and they said, let's pray. And they would not accept his resignation. I'm not saying it's okay to drink as a pastor. It's not what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying, right? We're so quick to judge. What better place for this man than the church to be restored, for men, godly men, to come around him and restore him in his ministry? Let me tell you what these verses in Galatians don't say. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. You know what these verses don't say? It doesn't say to cast judgment when you find somebody caught in a trespass. It doesn't say to cast judgment. It doesn't say to correct. It doesn't say to reprove. Oh, there's a place for some of those things. Sometimes we need to be reproved and corrected. But it's not what it says here. It says to restore. 
It says to restore. If our aim is to restore, all the other thing will fall, all the other things will fall into place. If our aim is to restore. Psalm 1835, this is beautiful. The psalmist says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. God in his gentleness sent Jesus Christ his son so that we can be great. He was gentle towards us by sending us a Savior so that you and I can be great. Oh, thank you, Lord. Do you know what this word in this psalm, gentleness, means? The word gentleness in this psalm means condescension. I had to look it up. Condescension means this. Listen, a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relation to someone inferior. That God came from His ranks to an inferior people, us, in a spirit of gentleness to make us great. Oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. How is it that you and I would like to be treated in our sin? I'm going to tell you, for me, be gentle. (laughs) Be gentle with me. I'm just such a sensitive guy. If I get caught in a trespass, just be gentle with me. I think we all want to be handled with gentleness, right? May we be gentle as God was gentle with us so that we can make the person restored and make the person great as God did for us. Our third takeaway is that life is a bear. Life is a bear. Life is a bear. Lucy asks Charlie Brown this. She says, why are we here on earth? And he replies, to make others happy. And so Lucy ponders this for a moment, and then she asks, well, then why are the others here? Pretty funny. We all have to do it. It's a responsibility we all have, is to make others great. It's kind of a cute little cartoon. Check out verses 2 and 5. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says... Bear your own load. Bear your own burden. I'm confused. Is it verse 2? Raise your hand if you think we're really just supposed to do verse 2. Is it verse 5? Maybe we're supposed to just do verse 5. Any any verse 2 people? Raise your hand. Any verse 5 people? What if it's both? Raise your hand if you think it's both. Ah, you guys are smart. You knew that was a trick question. Check it out. When we use the word burden, there's 11 Greek words that we translate to burden. 11. These are just two of them. In verse 2, it's baros. B-A-R-O-S is the Greek word. It means a heavy, crushing load more than one person could carry. Verse 5, the word is fortion. P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N, where we get the word portion. And it means a pack that is carried by a marching soldier. It's the burden that Jesus assigned to followers of His in Matthew chapter 11 when He said, My yoke is easy and what? And my burden is light. You can carry it. Hmm. So, verse 2. Barros, bearing one another's burdens. Rob Johnson and Aaron Johnson have little Nora. She's a uh, year and a half old. They have twins coming in June. Two little baby boys. They're going to have three kids. We should be doing verse 2 to them pretty soon. Bearing their burden. Right? 
that's going to be... At, but not, Now, they're still, verse 5, those kids are their responsibility, but we can come alongside them and say, hey, we're going to babysit, go out on a date, have some fun. Makes sense, right? Okay. So, Christ did this for us. He bore a burden that we could not bear by dying on the cross, a perfect life, a perfect sacrifice. Isaiah 53.11 says this, As a result of the anguish of his soul, Jesus' soul, he, the Lord, will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, by the Lord's knowledge, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, my servant, will justify all of us, the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Mm. That's what he did for us. And we're to do the same. Romans 15, 1-3 says this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength doesn't mean that they're weak, they're just without strength in that moment, right? We have moments of weakness. And not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification or his maturity. For even Christ did not please himself. Check it out. If we are unwilling to be burdened, then we are unwilling to be part of the Lord's church. That's what that says. If we are unwilling to be burdened, we are unwilling to be part of the Lord's church. It's how we fulfill the law of Christ in verse 2. That's what it says. That's how we fulfill what God asks of us and prove to be His disciples. John 13, 34 says as much, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And how did Jesus love us? That He died for us. He bore our burden. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you belong to me. You're my disciples if you love one another and bear one another's burdens. Are we willing to expend ourselves for others? Are we willing to expend ourselves for others? I would say, yeah, I'm willing. What do you think my next question is? Are we actually doing it? Well, that's different. I'm totally willing. But if you're actually asking me to do something, like you're crazy. Are we willing and are we actually doing so? The Spirit-led Christian thinks of others and how he can minister to them. What that means is he prays and performs. doesn't just pray. I'm praying for you. Yeah, but I need a ride to the doctor every Thursday. Well, I'm praying for you. It's like, dude, just pick me up. Like, stop the praying, man. Get in your car. I'm five minutes around the corner. Like, pick me up. Hook a brother up. And we don't just perform, we must pray also because God does things when we pray that only He can do. A friend of mine who does ministry in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. told me this 20 years ago, and I'll never forget it because I think it's incredibly powerful. God can do more in an instant than we could ever accomplish in a lifetime. Pray, 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 pray and perform. When, Doug, when we met Doug and Kelly Atterbury a couple years ago, I don't even know if they were on staff yet, we found out that they hadn't been on a date by themselves without one or both of their kids for like two or three years. And so we said, well, we'll pray for you, man. I hope that happens. Man, that gives me something to pray about. No. We got in our car. And we went to their place. And I, uh, and I sent my wife in to watch the two kids. And I said, I'll be in the car if you need backup. I went in with her. I, you know, I'm like, yeah, hey. Just kidding. We served them that way, Right? We prayed and we performed. And we loved on them to serve them, to help them bear that burden. They came back after a couple hours. They were just glowing. They were like, we talked. 
We just, we just went to a restaurant and talked for like two hours. We haven't talked without kids for like a couple of years. Wow, what a blessing, right? We must pray and perform. So let me give you an encouragement slash warning. We can't always and only do verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And we can't always and only do verse 5, only bear our own. That makes sense. There are certain burdens that each believer must bear which cannot be shared when the church cannot carry the load for you. Does that make sense? There are certain burdens that we must bear that cannot be shared. And that takes a lot of discernment. As a pastor, as a leader, as elders and trustees, sometimes people come to us. They want us to bear verse 5 burdens, not verse 2 burdens. We have to push that back. Say, this is for you to bear. God has given this to you to bear. And that's hard. And we'd probably experience that if we walked with the Lord for any period of time. It's like, wow, I'm all about verse 2 when verse 2 is appropriate, but I'm also all about verse 5 when verse 5 is appropriate. Sometimes we must bear our own load. It's out of love that we point that out. Amen? Okay. Fourth, our, our fourth and last takeaway. We're not to be deceived. Check this out. This is mentioned in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. Look at what verse 1 says. Even if anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. But look to yourself so that you will not be tempted. There's a warning, right? Don't be deceived. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. There's a warning. Each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting when he compares his life to Christ in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Mm. I imagine that we boast both when somebody does well, and we say, well, you know, it's because they came to me for spiritual advice, and I hooked them up, and I prayed for them. Man, they're, they're killing it now, man. Or they're not doing good and we just say, man, they really got problems. They're not like me. It's like the Pharisee and the publican, right? Thank God I'm not like this tax gatherer. I can't imagine Christ doing either one of those. Boasting because he's better than us. Or boasting because we're doing something well. And he's like, hey, Father, look at me. Romans 12.3 says this. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. How highly of ourselves ought we to think? Not very very highly. Just not very highly. Something must be laid aside to be a burden bearer. If we want to bear somebody's burden, we must lay something aside. That's what these verses tell us. And that something is conceit. It's an intolerant attitude of error in others and thinking that you and I are above failure. And here's what I want you to hear. We are all equally guilty before a holy God. Scripture says if we've committed one infraction, we're guilty of how many? All of them, which means we're all equally guilty before a holy God. Before a holy God, and here's what, I, what you need to know: that our jail cells for that guilt are all the same dimension. Our jail cells are all the same dimension. Lord, help us as we are tempted to pretend otherwise. What are we going to brag that we got a better jail cell than somebody? Like, are you kidding me? 
Turn to Ephesians 4. You're in Galatians 6, so next page is Ephesians. So go to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their thinking, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Hey, Paul, what are you trying to say? That is in them because of the hardness of their heart. When I share the gospel with people, when I talk to people that aren't of the faith, I don't try to convince them with knowledge. I pray that God softens their heart because until their heart is softened, they will continue to operate in ignorance no matter how much wonderful truth we shove down their throat. We must pray. And they, verse 19, having become callous, having, uh, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Oh, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Wow. So here, going back to Galatians chapter 6, we have two camps again. We had two camps in our passage last week. We have two camps this week. Check out the first camp, if you will. Twice in these five verses, you'll see the two words, if anyone. Verse 1, brethren, even if anyone. In verse 3, for if anyone. So you have an if anyone refers to the trespasser. And then in verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So those are the two camps. You have the if anyone trespassers, and then you have the if anyone deceived people. Those are the two people in these five verses. If anyone trespasser, if anyone deceived person. May we not be so proud that we are not a trespasser. Oh, I'm not if anyone in verse 3. Well, are you the if anyone in verse... Or you're not the if anyone in verse 1, but you're the if anyone in verse 3. May we not be so proud that we are not a trespasser only to find out that we're just as guilty by being deceived, by thinking we're better than somebody, by casting judgment upon somebody. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says... But each must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. If indeed our standard of measure is the Word of God and the life of Jesus the Messiah, may we never fall prey to the temptation to compare our lives to somebody else. That's not what God wants us to do. There's no, we're not to boast. We can have a proper boast, verse, five, uh, verse 4 tells us, but in regard to ourself alone, as we measure ourselves to the Word of God and as we measure ourselves to Christ. John MacArthur puts it this way God does not grade on a curve. Right? So, who's the best sinner at the Rock Community Church? Oh, it's Deborah. All right, so everybody compare themselves to Deborah. All right, I'm doing pretty good. All right, thank you. See you later. Like we're grading on a curve. And then we're like, hey, Deborah, can you dumb it down a little bit? I'm not doing so good on the curve, right? And the pressure on Deborah. You're living too holy. Bring it down a couple notches so I look better. Like, can you imagine? Is that Kendall? <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's funny. All right. uh, so uh, I'm just crazy. Makes my head scratch. 
We must measure ourselves. Listen, we must measure ourselves and serve others, not serve ourselves and measure others. Amen? Measure self against Christ and against His Word and serve one another. Don't serve self and measure one another. It was so important that three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, record it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Check it out. All three Gospels talk about this. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I said this before, I think, here, that it's funny. The faults I find in other people arguably are the ones I'm guilty of. That's why I'm able to see them. It's like, oh, man, oh, wow. Oh, you, wow. It's tricky. Watch what you find in other people and immediately go to the Lord and go, wow, I think that's true in my life. We tend to find what we have in our lives. Scripture's so true. We love to judge, don't we? We love to judge. We love to judge. But we must at all times remember that our own lives are under constant restoration. Are you guys done being restored? Are you perfect? We're still being restored. We must always recall that we are a house of restoration. This is a house of restoration. And I wonder, I wonder if things will be different in this church and in any church, if we filtered everything that we did, every ministry, every ounce of energy we expended in this church, if things would be different if we filtered all that we did as a means to restore instead of as a means to grow. I go to Bible studies so that I can grow. I go to a home fellowship so I can grow. I come to worship so I can grow. I listen to Pastor Mark so I can grow. What if we changed all that? I go to a group so that I can be so I can help restore. If I'm not with people, how can I restore one another? How can you who are spiritual restore one another if I'm doing it on my own? We get so caught up in our own growth, and it's like, what if we, everything we did was about how we restore one another? Because we already all admitted that we, all, we are all still in a restoration process. So what if everything we did was focused on restoring and so then it's less about, well, how many people in your church? Man, we restored 17 lives this month. We restored 74 lives this year. We restored, we restore lives every day. Mm, isn't that awesome? Where else do we go to get restoration? You who are spiritual, restore. And all that other stuff will fall into place. That's what Jesus did. That's what he calls us to I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to close this in a song, and I'm going to pray. And if you need prayer uh, after our closing song, our prayer team is available for you over here to my left, down here in the corner. Um, thank you so much for letting me do this with you guys every weekend. It's such a privilege. I love doing this. Let's pray. God, we are humbled. We're humbled that you restored us in the ways that you restored us. But we're also humbled, Lord, that you call us to restore others as well. And all of our brokenness and all the trespasses that we have in our past and that arguably on some level are staring us down in our future, you use us nonetheless. You've called us to restore. And as long as we are spiritual by submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can help restore one another. And for that, we say thank you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to take that more serious. Help us to know how to do that well. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said.
Amen.